Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? This is Matt Johnson. We are back with another episode of the UX Podcast. And this particular episode is for you if you are the type of person who really enjoys research and solving complex problems, especially sales and marketing problems for clients in new and interesting and unique industries where you get to really dive in and sink your teeth into an industry you don't know a lot about and come out the other side within a week or two or maybe a month knowing everything about that industry and coming up with really innovative strategies to solve their sales and marketing problems. Um, Because our guest is Angelo Ponzi, who's been doing this for a long time. Angelo's a super interesting guy with a very unique and varied background. He's done everything from uh, starting entrepreneurial ventures to working inside of larger companies like ad agencies. He's built and sold an agency. It actually got acquired by a larger company. And uh, just a, a range of different experience within sales and marketing went on to start a very well respected uh, market research firm that was used by a lot of action sports companies. So a lot of experience in very different and diverse industries. And Angela is one of those guys that really enjoys diving into a new market, intensely studying it, coming away with strategic insights and then helping companies implement those strategic insights. So actually getting to the point where he rolls up his sleeves and gets involved with their teams. So if you're the type of person that likes to do that, to me, the fractional business model is perfect because it allows you to do the things that are, that stimulate you intellectually and emotionally about solving problems and learning about new markets. And it allows you to get your hands dirty and actually get involved in the implementation of your strategy rather than simply handing off your strategy and hoping after you walk away that they implement. So there's a few things that I think you're going to take out of the conversation. Number one is how do you thrive by offering fractional services? We talked about just what the business is like, um, when you know how long your average client engagement might be, what to do, how to keep marketing yourself, stuff like that. Uh, keys to balancing client expectations. Uh, in other words, hey, if you're working for somebody 10 hours a week and you've got a few other clients, how do you convey the sense to your client that you, they really have you, they have your heart and soul, that you're devoted, you're dedicated, you're disciplined, and that you really do... Um, you, you really are all in emotionally and intellectually invested in their success when technically they only get 10 hours a week of your time or something like that. So we talk about client expectations. And then we, Angela shares a little bit about how he has used and has always used market research. That's one of his, what I would call an X factor. Uh, he calls it one of the powerful arrows in his quiver, which is a great analogy. So we talk about how Angela has used market research as uh, essentially an unfair advantage uh, against whether it's other agencies, other consultants. Uh, it's one of his primary advantages today when going against other types of business growth consultants or coaches that they might hire. Uh, it was his advantage back in the day as an ad agency to have the underlying market research. That's one of his, his X factors. So you can kind of see that thread running through the conversation um, that that strength has showed up over and over and over again. And he's built different types of business models around that strength, which I find really fascinating. That's what really UX is about is how do you take a business 
right? That's built around a rock star entrepreneur with a very specific high level skill set. And how do you translate that into a business model that's sustainable and profitable? And so this is one of them, the fractional business model. So if this is interesting, if it sounds fascinating to be able to work with three to four high level clients at a time for anywhere from three to six, maybe, you know, 10 or 12 months or longer. And it gives you the freedom to both come up with the strategy, solve a bleeding edge, cutting edge of industry problem, and get your hands dirty in the implementation side. Welcome to the episode. This is, uh, this is Angelo Ponzi. Let's jump in. All right, Angelo, officially welcome to the UX podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm uh, excited to talk about fractional services. This is really interesting and it's something that a lot of people don't really know is out there. They don't know to ask for it. Um, they certainly are not necessarily looking for it. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of how you, how do you describe what you do if somebody, if you meet a potential client or if you're out in the world talking to other business folks, how do you describe what you do? Right. You know, it's interesting. Some people, when I use the term fractional, they still don't understand it. So sometimes I'll refer back to interim or contract or part-time. They seem mm -hmm. to eventually get the, the scope of that. And really, it, the way I describe it is, if a business has a need for senior level marketing experience, but they just can't afford it, then this is the opportunity for me to come in and work with them. So in some cases, they have no marketing people. In some cases, they have directors of marketing and things like that. But they, they tend to be more tactical in nature and not strategic. Mm -hmm. So part of my, my pitch is I need to be at the C-suite. I need to be in the C-suite. I have to sit at the table to be able to influence strategic decisions and then drive down to whatever those tactics happen to be as opposed to tactical up, which never seemed to, to work real well. <laughs> and, and, and so that's where I like to play. And, and, and so on that basis, I can be there for you know, a day, which I don't really like. So typically I'll go for a minimum of 40 hours a month is where I try to play. That gives me enough opportunity to be on site, also to really get involved. Because that's the other thing that, in, in, in all my businesses, my background in advertising, is how do you get really immersed in a client if you're not, you know, 100% working with them all the time. And so part of it is my background in market research and the ability to really dig out information. Um, uh, a boss years ago uh, gave me a compliment and it always stuck with me. She said, on Monday, we're going to pitch a client and you know nothing about them. And on Friday, you're an expert and you know how to go toe to toe with them. And that always stuck with me because that really is how I play the fractional world. So I, I try to stay agnostic, if you will, in industries. I have literally worked with semiconductors to ice cream. <laughs> you know, and except for eating ice cream, I, I didn't know how to market it. And mm -hmm. same thing with alcoholic beverages and certainly with semiconductors. I mean, I worked for a company uh, that made semiconductor uh, manufacturing equipment. It was a million dollars a piece. Yeah. I certainly never bought one before, but being able to get it immersive into it and really understand the market using research to understand the customers and all those kinds of things really helps drive that. So that's kind of my... I'll call it my real powerful arrow in my quiver that I like to pull out because whether I'm doing it on behalf of the client or doing it on my uh, behalf of myself to get educated, that's mm -hmm. how I really get up to speed. And I think gives me that opportunity to sit at the table. Then all my marketing mm -hmm. background and everything else um, comes into play, but that's how I get industry specific and, and really immersed in the client. Yeah. So there's a lot to pull out. So you mentioned that, you know, part of the way that they feel like they have your heart and soul, even though they might only have 40 hours a month of your actual time, you're saying this. So the market research is directly related. The fact that you can come in and go toe to toe with them 
on knowledge of their own industry. That's part of what feeds that perception that they really have you on board, even though you're only there 10 hours a week. Yeah. And I'd say actually it's more than a perception. It's, it's, it's a reality. Obviously if I'm, gotcha. if I'm debating and having conversations with the senior management and you know, they sound, look like I'm blowing smoke and mirrors, then I'm going to lose pretty quick. So, yeah. you know, for me and just my background and who I am as an individual, I, I really do immerse myself. And therefore, that limits the number of companies I can work for, even mm-hmm. right if I can't fill up 100% of my time because I'll never have any opportunity to do these things that keep me, me prevalent. Uh, I started working with a, a client in the educational field uh, that they had a product and a service, and I was brought on to commercialize it and launch it. I really, except for having kids that went through something similar, I, I didn't know. And now I'm, you know, I write the white papers, I do the presentations, I have conversations with educators, hmm. and I feel very comfortable in having those because I've, again, spent so much time trying to educate myself. And that client's going on 18 months. Yeah, so that's that was going to be one of the follow-up questions was, you know, in that specific case, you might see a, a very defined timeline, right? Like right from the beginning, both you and the client might agree, hey, we believe this is an 18-month or it's a 12-month project to get this off the ground. What's the ideal for you? How long would you prefer to keep a client as a fractional relationship? Well, um, I always go in with a minimum of three months because okay. it just takes time to get involved and really to be able to offer great counsel. Mm-hmm. I would say on average, they've been running about six months. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, the two of my biggest right now, like say 18 months, the other one's going on nine months. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, since I immersed myself and everything, I think that just gives me a, a lot more longevity. But a lot of times what happens, of course, if I do a great job and they grow and they now they have a need for someone more senior, mm-hmm. then sometimes I presented with, we want to hire you. And if I say no, then I basically, I'm on my way out. Hmm. And, I, and I know that. So yeah. I always used to joke and say, if I do a great job, I've worked myself out of a job. Right. <laughs> is, is your goal, besides working yourself out of a job, how do you consider yourself worked out of a job? Are you building, is your intention to build a system that somebody could come in and run? Or is your intention just to build their infrastructure of marketing to a certain point where somebody could come in and take over and continue just building in their own image? I think part of it depends on the objective of the of the organization. So I worked with a financial institution, uh, I think in 2016, and they had a 10-person marketing department. Wow! But but they were, I I say they were more junior than senior. Yeah. And so part of my goal was how do I build that up? That the CEO wanted an in-house agency. Yep. Since I had run and owned an agency before that was part of my goal was to develop it so we could do everything in house and that it would operate efficiently um you know that assignment lasted about eight months so between so getting that up and and building that department out and making sure they had the right people on the bus Mm -hmm. um and then and then that uh, you know led its course where i was you know no longer needed as part of that project right yeah that makes total sense that's an interesting situation to both be thrown and throw yourself voluntarily into you come into a situation where you're coming from the outside and you're fractional on top of it and coming in and leading a 10 person team rearranging things setting up new systems getting getting you know maybe rearranging some some positions and roles and things like that any any advice for people that do that for a living uh, to do that better and more effectively well i think that that anybody that goes in 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 a fractional basis if you will or a senior level Mm -hmm. full-time, even part-time fractional is, is to 
really understand that the the direction of the organization. So part of it, you know, when I say I have to sit at the hit the table, I have to be part of that C-suite, or it, it doesn't make any sense. Then I'm pushed down to a lower level, and you don't really need me. You know, okay. can I can I get my hands dirty? Can I write copy? Can I do websites? Can I? Yes, I can. But again, working from the top down, if I'm not at, at that level and cannot have the authority, if you will, or the ability, mm -hmm. the empowerment to make decisions, then I'm then I'm, my hands are tied. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the organizations I work with, you know, that's part of the the program is I get immersed. I have authority over the group. I can shuffle people around. I can do the things that are really for the benefit, for the short and long-term benefit of the organization. Hmm. And so, you know, obviously I have to present those kinds of things, but still I have that ability and it makes sense because I'm the one that's with them day to day. I'm the one that's getting immersed. Yeah. I'm the one that's having those conversations. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so we were talking before we hit the record button, um, about a current project you're involved in where you're both a board member and fractional CMO, essentially that that's the, I think that's the actual position. Correct. So you're in kind of a unique situation where you're sitting in board meetings where your own work is being presented back. And it sounds like, you know, they're essentially having to parrot back your strategic direction, your strategic advice back well, to the rest of the board. Is that right? Yeah, so the, the, way this, the way this particular situation works is I work with the internal team and yeah. helping them and guide them in developing long-term plans. So I'm working with the sales department. And, and so I've laid some foundations, for example, and we tend to talk and move in that direction. And they come back at me and say, ah, I don't particularly like what you've done or whatever. So, I mean, it's an open conversation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so as we go down this path and develop those strategies and, you know, the, the projections and things like that. And the same thing with marketing, <clears throat> you know, my goal there is to help them take it up a notch and, and develop these programs and plans. So, so, so I'm intimate with them. So mm -hmm. when I sit in the board meeting and I hear these plans being presented, not necessarily my, my work specifically, but the plans, mm -hmm. I know what to expect. I, I, and I warn them going in, I said, I'm holding back some of the questions because, you know, I want, to see how everybody reacts because it's really important. So when things change, uh, this happened in a, in a recent meeting where everything we had presented got changed the night before and I didn't know it. So I was really surprised. Okay. So I, you know, I became a challenger all of a sudden in the meeting <laughs> of why things were going on. So it got pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you like what types of questions you keep in reverse and, or, or kind of in reserve for you. Um, and that, that sounded like they created some questions you had in reserve yeah. by, by switching yeah. everything. So when, when you approach a situation like that, you're, you're a fractional CMO, you're going in, you've got maybe if you, you've got to sell essentially your ideas and your strategic advice, at least up the line to the rest of the C-suite, sometimes down the line to the people that you're supervising. Mm -hmm. When, I mean, do you, do you, how do you approach that? Do you approach it like a military operation? Do you approach it like a sales job where you're selling, you know, 10 different people? How do you approach that mentally? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very collaborative. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that empowering folks to, to make decisions. And so what I do is, is a lot of times, and, and again, a, a particular case with a client not too long ago is, I brought the sales and marketing people into the room. I knew there was some conflicts, which typically happen between sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get everybody on the page. I needed to explain to them who I was. They knew who I was, but explain my role and why I could give them direction and stuff like that. But after that, I said, look at, and I said, let's pretend we're all on a sandbox together. 
know, we have to build this unique sandcastle and this is the company that we're going to build and we have to do it together. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said laughingly, I said, we, we need to get all the cat turds out of the sandbox first, <laughs> right? So we got to get rid of all the BS and we have to yeah. work together. And so over, over the time period, I mean, I'm constantly making sure that they understand that, that we're doing this together for a common purpose. It isn't based on a department, one department that is not going to win over the other, that if we do this harmoniously, if you will, as you try as a group, then we're all going to succeed and they'll succeed. I'll succeed. The company will succeed. And, and, and so again, that's the focus that I try to bring and, and but empower people to say, if you don't like what I say, push back. Yeah. I'm not here. I'm not going to tell it, tell you to do something if you don't think it's right. And, and just because I say it doesn't mean it's right. Mm-hmm you've been here longer than I have. So I like this back and forth and the ability to people feel confident that they can talk to me regardless of, you know, how I play within the organization. Yeah, I, I like, I like that approach. And I think it's more effective than what, what are some, some of our natural tendency as a, as a consultant uh, or someone who's hired to give strategic advice might be to go in and just lay out our advice, assuming that because it's logical and rational to us, well, then naturally, it just should be accepted by all parties and they're going to act on it. It's going to be awesome and I'll get a great case study out of this. Unfortunately, that almost never happens because it's not about the information. There's, there's so much of the other personal dynamics and you know, internal power struggles and fiefdoms and all, all kinds of things that go in there. So yeah, so the collaborative approach makes, makes sense because they automatically have more buy-in just by the approach, even if the result is the same. It, it, well, exactly. It, it's if people don't have buy-in and you're just telling them what to do, then they then they're not engaged. I mean, there's I'm sure you've heard this statistic: you know, seventy percent, eighty percent, depending on which study you're reading, of American workers are either disengaged or unhappy in their jobs. So <laughs> Actively, aggressively disengaged. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're if you're feeding that. And people don't deliver on what they're supposed to, or they do, you know, a poor job at it. You know, it really just has an impact on everybody else. So to me, to get everybody understanding that we are a cohesive team and, and what we're doing is building one thing, not building our own little, own little fiefdoms. And, and you said something which made me think of something else is I'm a, I, in a lot of the presentations I give, I talk about market dynamics. Okay. And so even though we have these internal things that we're working right there, I call it the road to growth and you've got off ramps of marketing and sales and finance and employees and all these different things. But we also have the dynamics outside of that, whether it's competition, it's politics, mm-hmm. it's technology, uh, it's fine. It's, uh, you know, the government changing interest rates, whatever it happens to be. So there's so many things that can change literally in a second that influences mm-hmm. everything else. So if we're not working as a group and we're not keeping our, our finger on the pulse of the brand and in the marketplace, you know, then we leave our, ourselves subject to open. Because I also say, as, and as you probably do as a consultant as well, the day we sit in the room, we say, this is a great plan. It just changed. Something just <laughs> happened. <laughs> right? I was making a presentation and talking about market dynamics and and somebody came into the, the meeting late and they made a comment about interest rates going up. And so I, I took off on that and said, here's an example. I'm talking about all this stuff. And then something happened that we didn't know about. Somebody came in and delivered that information. And your ability to borrow money as a business owner just changed, which might yeah. impact your receivables and your ability mm-hmm. to have cash. And so it's, it's really important that, that the team stays aware of all this stuff. Yeah. And that's why I was curious about just what your goal was. Um, 
because I was thinking through like what my goal would be if I went into a company like that with, with a similar objective. And I think if you could leave behind one thing of working with, with a company for three months, six months, 12 months, whatever, I would hope to instill a set of operating principles of, of correct thinking about marketing. So even when I left, the tactical decisions might be slightly different, but they'd be operating from the same playbook so to speak, if that makes sense. Like I would try to install a philosophy so that they, that, that would still be in place hopefully five years after I left. Yes. Yeah. So, and I think that that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's, you hope you change the culture a little bit and people understand that, you know, to get from A to B makes sense and to understand Mm -hmm. too, that you just can't pull stuff out of thin air, that it does take time to plan. Now see the idea of working on your business versus in your business. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a, there's a, I think it was a Harvard business review did a study. I think it was a couple years ago and that CEOs in the study spend an average of 10 hours or less a month working on their business. Because they're constantly reacting to things. And I just did a study, a little qualitative study among some CEOs for a presentation I was giving. And they, on average, they spent less than uh, a week's worth of time each month um, working on their business. Yeah. And, and so I'm surprised to, it's that high. That's, yeah. that's a pretty decent group of CEOs you pulled. I, I've heard it as low as something, something ridiculous, like 60 minutes a week or something yeah. like that, like yeah. less than an hour a day. Like there's, there's a lot, I've heard a lot of different figures, but yeah, that, yeah. that's 40 hours a month is not bad. Yeah. So it's, it's really surprising that, um, how much time they spend and it does yeah. vary. And, mm-hmm. and, and really being the strategic leader of the organization that, if you're not doing it and driving it down, certainly the people below you are not going to do it. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back and let people know how to connect with you. And then I've got one more question for you and we'll close out. So what's the best way to get a hold of your podcast and then to reach out and connect with you personally, especially if they have like a referral for you? Sure. Absolutely. So um, as we talked, I do have a, a business podcast and radio show called Business Growth Cafe and businessgrowthcafe.com is the best way to get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, me personally, probably the easiest is through LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anybody. And uh, my website is theponzigroup.com. And um, so I'm, I'm love to talk to anybody. I'd like to continue these conversations. And mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's close out with this. So getting back to fractional services, it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the most interesting and uh, how do I put this potentially exploding, uh, business models in the next 10, 15, 20 years, you've been in it, you're in it every single day. What would make it better and easier to run? If you had, if you had your, your ideal, what would, um, what would change that would make the fractional service model easier to deliver and just easier on the expert who's at the center of it? That's a good question. What would make it easier? Um, (laughs) Higher fees, so you don't have to have uh, more clients. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, um, you know, it's, I, I think, it, like anybody that has a small business, you know, pipeline is, is always in the, in the back of your mind, right? Because like yeah. I said, if I do a great job, potentially I'm working myself out of the job. <laughs> so I'm always, it's a weird thing, right? Where it really is you weird. You do a bad job and you're fired. You do a great job and you're fired. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think, you know, just for me, if I, have that, you know, ability to probably maybe predict 
longer of what kind of engagements they would be. Mm-hmm. It might make it easier okay. um, because I wouldn't be thinking about it all the time because you just don't know. Like I got a call uh, from somebody not too long ago and said, hey, you know, we've got a young marketing person. Would you mind being uh, a resource for her, you know, 10 hours a week? Mm-hmm. You know, she can call you. And I went, you know, that's really interesting, but I passed on it. Mm-hmm. because there's no way I'm going to really understand their business and I'm just going to be using experiences that I have. And I felt that that would detract from the ability to add 10 hours to a much larger client that could really gotcha. benefit them by me being more immersed. And I, there was no way I was going to get immersed in this other business. So there, you know, you, like anything you pick and choose, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's the right client for you. And, and I always look at, does it make sense for me to get involved? Uh, and can I affect change? I, I literally had somebody uh, from a mobile app world uh, refer me to somebody because I have experience in that in that industry. And so I was talking to the CEO of the company. He says, you know, we have a, a board member that basically challenges the marketing people to say, why should we spend time with you and invest our time and money? Because you're going to be gone. Mm. And he said, so what do you still want to work with us? And I said, well, it's interesting. I'd love to be in the room with that person because if he's a board member, I could probably ask him or her the same question. <laughs> but, um, but I, but I recognize there's obstacles in, right. you know, it's like going to a, a, a potential client, which again has happened before and basically say, I, we don't really believe in marketing, you know, con- convince us. And I went, I, no, thank you. I'll, yeah. I'll pass. Yeah. It's not worth the time. Yeah. So I'm not sure I answered the question specifically, but I'm not sure there is yeah. one thing that 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 I could say would make it easier and better because it does while you're servicing clients like anything, you're out knocking on doors, you're networking, you're doing things to try to meet more people because they may hire you today or they may not. One of my one of my new clients is actually a client from 20 years ago, oh, completely wow. different business, but he remembered the job that I had, had done for him. And he's starting a new business and he called me up and said, can you help me? And in his case, I said, yes, because he was a great client and a great guy. Yeah. Which that, yeah, that's awesome. Especially with serial entrepreneurs. That's, I hadn't thought of that as far as them coming back around and being repeat clients, but with a different business. Um, yeah. And I think, so the first two problems that you mentioned, the, the higher fees and the pipeline to me, that that's all part and parcel of one thing. And it really comes down to how much time can you afford to set aside to market yourself versus being the CMO for somebody else. So if you, if you're genuinely giving somebody 10 hours a week, then you have to choose between, okay, do I take four clients and I commit all my time to delivering service or do I only take on three clients and I commit 10 unbillable hours a week to marketing and then make it up through higher fees to those other three clients. Like that's just a, that's a very strategic um, decision and you have to know exactly what you're going to spend those other 10 hours of marketing time on that will have that kind of effect. So I think I think a lot of, if you're in the marketing space, you understand that decision. I think of people that are in, let's say creative spaces, or they're delivering other kinds of maybe operationally focused work that don't understand that direct link in the, on the marketing are going to lean more towards service and the clients. And then they just go through the roller coaster of, of right. client delivery, finding new client, delivering the service. And yeah, so I think there's a lot of people that will come to that lesson the hard way, unfortunately. And I think one of the other things which has been, a stru- so when I, I spend a lot of time like this, uh, in market research and, mm-hmm. and, and throughout my career, I've actually had two market research companies. And the one thing about market research, it's, it's, it's project driven, right? Okay. And yeah. I would say on very few occasions during those periods, you had ongoing business where you could count on that client for revenue. And so when I, 
got back into doing what I'm doing, which, which I've had experience from years ago, I mean, it's kind of done this on and off, hmm. is seeking clients for kind of fee-based, which is probably the, if I could pick one thing, it's fee-based clients versus project-based clients. Because okay. when the project ends, it's over. Versus if, if I have ongoing fees, then I, again, can commit to that time versus mm -hmm you know, these kinds of project one-off things that I do. And that's where research a lot of times comes in. It's, you know, I have a research project, it's whatever, $10,000. And they go, well, that's great. And then three weeks later, it's over and that client might never come back again. Yeah. So I just spent a ton of time working on that client when I could have been seeking out others. And the other mistake I made once <clears throat> is I took on a client 100% as a fractional, which was because hmm. I, I, they needed it's a long story, but they really needed somebody. And so they brought me in as a fractional CMO, but a hundred percent of my time. Mm. And that went on for eight months it was great. But yeah. then at the end of the eight months, I had no business. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was never marketing myself. So, you know, you yeah. learn some of these lessons. That was great. It was great money, great project, got actually involved in HR and, and the mm. finance department and talent acquisitions. So I really got to immerse myself in a lot of different areas, which was exciting. But at the end of the day, it was like, okay, now what? Yeah. So, so I'm always careful now doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. That's that's another lesson I feel like people will find a lot the hard way. Um, I think one of the only people I know that's really pulled it off successfully is uh, is Jay Samet, who wrote the book Disrupt You. And he's gone from owning his own company back in the 80s to then being the head of like Sony Digital. And now he's with Deloitte. And he's he just he constantly goes like, like in one entrepreneurial venture to an entrepreneurial then back and then as an entrepreneur and then back to an entrepreneur um but yeah there's i there's something about i don't, I don't know what has made him pull it off but i know that part of the reason that he wrote the book disrupt you was to build a personal brand so that the brand is consistent so that he could jump from different thing to different thing right. but his personal brand stays the same so there's a, there's always demand for more of him than right. there is supply and that was that was something that that dan kennedy said years ago that hit me hard like there should always be more demand for you than there is supply of you. Then it's just a matter of you determine how you fulfill that demand. I'm like, well, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And, and, yeah. and I, you know, and, and not thinking about it the way you just described it, but that's what I do strive for is, mm -hmm. is trying to create that personal brand, being a thought leader and things like that. So mm -hmm. people seek me out. But I mean, I, I, I had my first entrepreneurial experience when I was 23 years old mm -hmm. and it was uh, in the film industry had this great idea to bring Hollywood to Orange County. Okay. And we made, we made it eight months, failed miserably, but what a, <laughs> what a lesson that, that, I, that I learned about business. Yeah. And so I've been in and out of being an entrepreneur and working for companies on and off the whole time. And I mean, hmm. when I got out of one ad agency after five years, I started my own consulting business. I turned that into an ad agency. I sold it, worked for that company, then left that company, went, just started another agency, then went back to another company. And yeah. so I ping pong back and forth. And I find that, that I do like this because it allows me to get into so many different things and really immerse myself yeah. as opposed to going full time somewhere where you're mm -hmm. singular focused. And plus, I think I bring, I bring a different perspective because I've been on the client side. I've been on the agency mm -hmm. side. I've worked in a variety of diff different disciplines as, a, so, as opposed to a marketing person that has worked the, the way up in one vertical. And that's where they've lived their entire life. Yeah. And so that's, I think, another, I believe, an advantage that I have that I bring to the party. Yeah, I agree. Well, especially since the, the fact that you're positioned as like what David Meister would call, uh, what would he call it? 
the well, the brain surgeon, basically, right? You're you're positioning yourself as being on the bleeding edge and being able to solve frontier problems. I think is what he calls it, frontier problems, right? Problems that are on the the very bleeding edge of an industry, um, as opposed to somebody who's in the industry who they're looking for somebody who solved that problem 15 times already and has 10 case studies from clients who look just like them. Like, there's a place for that, and there's a yeah. place for like this high level ninja assassin specialist who solves complex business problems on the frontier of multiple industries in their specialty. And to me, I mean, it's a, it's a fun place to be in. It's a fun position to be that, that person because it's extremely like intellectually and emotionally satisfying. It's, it, it's, you know, you get your curiosity, like you get to do research, you get to solve new problems all the time. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And I think that's going to be one of the, that's why I think the fractional business model is really interesting because it allows you to do that a lot more easily. Yeah, you, you hear a lot about fractional CFOs. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, I mean, a ton of businesses already. I, I do see more and more, obviously, in the fractional uh, CMO world and some groups that are forming and, and things like that. So it, it definitely, I think, is a place because, again, it allows organizations to hire somebody at a much senior level mm-hmm. at a fraction, frankly, at a fraction of the cost. Maybe <laughs> that's where the fractional word comes in, but a fractional uh, uh, part of the cost that they would have to hire somebody with, you know, the kinds of experience that we bring. Yeah. Love it. Well, this conversation has been awesome. So businessgrowthcafe.com is the site for the podcast and then uh, LinkedIn for you personally, or the, was it the Ponzi group.com? Right. Yeah, actually that uh, quick, another quick story real quick, if you have it, but mm-hmm. so the Ponzi group was the company that I, I grew and sold. Oh, was it? Ago. Okay. Yeah. And so um, that was 15 years ago, something like that. So I was on uh, GoDaddy not too long ago, last uh, November, actually about a year ago, and I was just playing around and I decided to type it in just out of curiosity and it popped up available. <laughs> so I, I bought it and, and started to uh, slowly change and about six months ago, I actually started converting from the business name I was using to this and, and uh, it obviously it, really cool. it means something to me. So that's why yeah. I changed it. Of course, the you know, the, the name Ponzi has changed quite a bit since those days of, right. it has become very infamous versus just <laughs> recognizable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is unfortunate. Yeah. But, but I can, I can understand why you'd want to buy, buy the name back. That's got to have a lot of sentimental value. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, this was a pleasure, Angela. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the, uh, for the time and, and sharing kind of your background and knowledge. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX podcast where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine and we'll see you on the next episode.